Welcome to Prima's 2017 podcast series. My name is Shonda Ragland. I am the Director of Education and Training at Prima. On this Prima podcast, Jeff Taxier will discuss the keys to managing water loss. Jeff is the Education and Training Manager for American Technologies, Inc., a full-service national restoration contractor headquartered in Orange, California. Jeff joined ATI in May 2012 after a 35-year career with Allstate Insurance Company. During his 35 years with Allstate, Jeff held a variety of positions in Allstate's claims department, including property claim manager for the company's Southern California operation and home office performance consultant for Allstate's Claims Learning and Development Center in Wheeling, Illinois. Jeff holds a BA in English from Loyola Marymount University and is a master's candidate in instructional technology at Northern Illinois University. We will also be joined by Taekwon Gilbert, a member of Prima's education and training team. Taekwon will moderate the discussion. Enjoy the podcast. Jeff, thank you for joining us today. What are the three categories of water loss and why are they important? Well, thanks for having me on the show and I'm happy to, uh, help with some additional communication on water losses for everybody in your membership. So uh, the first question was the uh, three categories of water loss and and why are they important? So uh, the three categories, obviously, uh, well, it's kind of simple. It's uh, (laughs) you have category one, you have category two, and you have category three. And uh, these categories were um, defined by an organization called the IICRC, or the Institute of Inspection, Cleaning, and Restoration Certification. And this is a group of uh, restoration contractors that uh, first got together in the 1990s, deciding that it was important to sort of police themselves. There really weren't any standards in uh, in water restoration and mitigation, Um, and they wanted to develop standards that could be uh, used uh, throughout the industry. And this has uh, developed over the years uh, till now, where it's pretty much considered to be a standard uh, for residential and commercial construction and restoration. And the insurance industry has bought into this as well. So when we're communicating with our insurance partners, uh, it's easy to um, for them to understand uh, what type of loss we're talking about. So category one is, is what's a clean water loss. Clean water is Uh, water that emanates from a source that does not pose a substantial harm to humans. The examples can include um, potable water into your house. So uh, water that leaks from a water supply line is probably the most common type of situation. Another type of clean water loss could be rain or melting ice or snow, um, as long as the cleanup of the uh, water occurs within 24 hours. You could also have uh, broken uh, toilet tanks and uh, toilet bowls that overflow as long as there's nothing in the uh, in the water, uh, so it's, it's clean water. That could include even those uh, little blue balls that you put in to uh, clean the tank. That would change the, the type of water, but as long as it's clean water, then it would also be a Category 1 water loss. The Category 2 losses are considered uh, gray water, uh, this means that there is a significant level of contamination and that this water does have the potential to cause discomfort or sickness if it's consumed or exposed to humans. Um, it means it can carry microorganisms and nutrients for microorganisms. 
Examples can include uh, such things as discharge from dishwashers or washing machines or overflows from those, um, overflows from uh, toilet bowls that have urine but not feces. For people that have sump pumps, it could include sump pump failures and uh, normal seepage due to hydrostatic pressure. So what this means is that if you're going to be doing cleanup from a Category 2 loss, you're going to be doing more involved cleaning and need to take steps to protect uh, other parts of the property more so than if a Category 1 loss. And then the Category 3 loss is uh, black water. And that uh, basically means that it contains pathogenic agents and is grossly unsanitary. So if you're thinking about it, most people think of sewage backups in terms of Category 3 losses, and that certainly is a, a common type of Category 3 loss. But it also can include toilet backups that do have feces. It can include things like uh, flooding from seawater or rising water from rivers or streams. And... Uh, so if you remember, you know, pictures of the flooding from Hurricane Katrina, all of that flood water was uh, highly pathogenic and would be considered a, a black water loss. And if you do have a loss like this, then you need to take um, significant steps to do the cleaning properly, protect the property, protect the workers. And it's going to cost more money because it's going to involve more labor, more personal protective equipment, and uh, additional materials. What are the four classes of water loss and why are they important? So a lot of people get these confused, uh, classes of water loss and categories of water loss. And I think part of it's because they still go with the same numbering system. But the difference is categories of water loss, those one, two, and three we just talked about, relate to the cleanliness of the water. Remember, uh, category one is basically clean water. Category two is gray water. Category three is uh, black water unsanitary. Classes of water loss have to do with the amount of water that is damaging the property, as well as where in a particular room uh, the water may be emanating from. So a class one water loss is, is a minimal amount of water. It uh, is now defined as less than 5% of the potentially affected property. So if you think about you know, whatever room you're sitting in now while you're listening to this podcast and try and imagine less than 5% of the area damaged by water, it could simply mean a situation where you know, a bucket of water spilled over and damaged a small area in the corner of the room or, or something like that, or very, very small amount of water from a small rainstorm that came in near a window, and, is, and otherwise the rest of the room is, is unaffected. Obviously, a class one loss is going to require the least amount of equipment uh, to, to clean up and to get dry. In many cases, it may not even need uh, any particular air movers or dehumidifiers because the, of the small area of, of water damage. A class two water loss has substantially more water in a room. Um, it's now defined as anywhere between 5 and 40% of the potentially affected property. And these types of losses, water uh, will have wicked up the walls less than two feet or less than 24 inches. And uh, there is still going to be some moisture remaining in the structural materials, such as the plywood, um, any structural wood, etc. So again, if you just try and imagine the room that you're sitting in and try and imagine anywhere from 5 to 40% of the room saturated by water, you could have a situation where a... Uh, 
a water line uh, burst. And uh, by the time we were able to shut off the water, maybe three quarters of the floor is, is covered with water. And you've got maybe six to 12 inches of water that's wicked up some of the walls. So something like that would be generally considered a class two uh, water loss. In these situations, once you've removed uh, the excess water and taken whatever steps you also need, if it happens to be a category two or three loss, then you'll still need some type of air moving equipment and maybe a dehumidifier in order to totally remove the moisture and get it back to normal humidity levels so that you can do the repairs. Next is a class three loss. And for most um, commercial and residential properties, this is the largest amount of water. These would be situations in which more than 40% of the potentially affected property um, is damaged. Um, in these cases, water will have typically either come in from overhead, major uh, water pipe from overhead burst, or rain, a substantial amount of rain has leaked in uh, through the ceilings. You could have uh, in areas with a lot of snow, you could have uh, damming, you know, ice damming, uh, which could then cause a lot of water to come in. Cases like this where the ceilings, the walls, insulation, carpet, uh, cushion, uh, subfloor, finished floor, all these would be affected by the water. In this case, you're going to need the most amount of, uh, of drying equipment and more labor. So you know, the reason why we separate these categories is it, is it helps restoration companies like us to determine uh, the amount of drying equipment and the type of drying equipment that, that we can use to dry out the property. And the last type of uh, class of water loss is considered a class four. This is really a specialty drying situation. You'll see these in industrial plants or large warehouses with very, very high ceilings and all concrete floors. In this case, because of the nature of the materials, they're not very absorbent. Therefore, it's going to take a long time for the water to dry out. In these situations, we're typically going to bring in specialty drying equipment, such as desiccant dehumidifiers. Uh, it's going to be more expensive to uh, dry out these properties. But, you know, you can either do it this way or, you know, wait for them to dry out on their own, which could take weeks or sometimes months. So, Businesses obviously want to get up and running again, so they're going to work with their insurance carriers and come up with an appropriate drawing plan. Again, for, for most of the customers out there, uh, most of the people that are members of your organization, they're going to be dealing with class one, two, or three losses, and it's going to make a determination in terms of the uh, amount of drying equipment and how long it's going to take to dry the property. Can you describe a typical drying plan for water damage from rain that has damaged two rooms? including the ceilings, upper walls, and glued down carpet tiles? Yeah, that's a, that's a good example because that's a pretty common type of uh, water loss that uh, a lot of property owners have. Unfortunately, you know, a lot of people don't know that they've got issues with their roof, you know, until we've got a heavy rainstorm and all of a sudden they've got water that's leaking into the property. And, and whether the damage to the roof is from a recent windstorm, therefore it may be covered, or whether it's just wear and tear, in which case it may not be something covered by the insurance company, typically the uh, resulting damage inside the property is covered. So in these cases, um, most of the time, depending on how much of the ceiling that's damaged, uh, you're going to be talking about a, a class three type of loss. So it's going to require a significant amount of drying equipment. Now, also the category of the loss would also affect it. 
Uh, you may have to uh, uh, keep these rooms covered in plastic or um, hard plastic. Some sort of containment may be necessary if it's a uh, class a Category 2 or a Category 3 type of loss. So you figure you're going to probably have some sort of containment. You may have to have the employees work in what's called a, a negative air type of environment or using an air scrubber, something to keep the air clean. And then you'll be using equipment to remove the excess water, and then you're going to make a determination on the amount of uh, dehumidification equipment. So typically in these losses, you'll be using um, a standard dehumidifier or an LGR dehumidifier, and uh, you'll use some mathematical calculations based on the uh, uh, cubic feet of the room to determine you know, how much drying you need to take place. So again, you got typically two rooms, including the ceilings, upper walls, and the uh, glue-down carpet. I don't know the total square footage, but it, you're probably talking a minimum of two, uh, probably a maximum of four dehumidifiers. And then the amount of air movers will depend on the size of the rooms and the amount of, you know, cubic feet or square feet that needs to be dried. Uh, so um, you may also need to cut behind some walls, depending on how much water is saturated behind the walls, remove some of the wet insulation. If the ceilings are drop ceilings, then you probably need to remove a number of the wettest uh, ceiling tiles, as well as any insulation in the roof. And, you know, check all your mechanicals and make sure that they're safe to use, because in a lot of commercial buildings, most of your mechanicals are going to be behind those those tiled ceilings. If it's a drywall or plaster ceiling, then you'll need to uh, you know try and dry the room. Sometimes you can see where a miniature collapse might be occurring, so you want to sort of pop the bubble and remove some of the wettest drywall, and then go ahead and uh, set up your air moving equipment. You know uh, most uh, restoration companies are going to do their best to dry out this room within oh three days or so. They'll even try and save that glue-down carpet, which often can be dried in place. But if the carpet starts to lift because of the saturation into the glue, then obviously that glue-down carpet is going to need to be removed, and then the uh, flooring underneath will need to be thoroughly dried uh, before a replacement carpet is put in. And as far as any replacing of the items, that would be determined once the drying is complete. You know, if you have an estimator come in to try and tell you what needs to be done, they really shouldn't uh, be giving you an estimate until the drying is totally complete and they can see exactly how much uh, drywall or tile or carpet needs to be replaced. Here's some words from Prima's Member Services Manager, Danica Williams, regarding Prima membership benefits. Prima is a membership organization dedicated to advancing the knowledge and practice of risk management in the public sector. Prima members come from a diverse range of disciplines, entity types, sizes, and share a variety of titles, including risk manager, human resources professional, workers' compensation coordinator, employee benefits coordinator, claims administrator, safety personnel, risk pool administrator, just to name a few. Despite their titles, there is one resounding theme among these individuals and that is that they manage risks within their entity and importantly, risks affecting the public interest. Prima members enjoy a robust array of educational programming, risk management resources, and networking opportunities. Some of Prima's member benefits include access to blogs, podcasts, webinars, Prima's job bank, 
Prima's online community where members have the ability to connect, share, and solicit information directly from their colleagues. Prima's Cyberry of Risk Management document, Prima's flagship publication, The Public Risk Magazine, and member discounts to all Prima events and training. Becoming a Prima member is one of the most worthwhile career investments a risk management practitioner can make, not just for themselves, but for their entire entity. To learn more about Prima member resources, visit primacentral.org. Now back to Jeff and take one. What qualifications should public entities consider when determining whether to hire a water mitigation company or place a company on its call list? So that's a good question. Our recommendation is that obviously uh, you want to get uh, referrals from um, other people like you. So, you know, if you're a school district, um, you'll want to see if uh, this particular uh, mitigation company has done work for other school districts so that they understand the specific issues and concerns that you may have. If you run, you know, a commercial building, same thing. You're going to want to get some referrals to verify that the company that you're considering has done work for similar types of buildings that, that you have. You'll also want to make sure that they're uh, insured so that if they do cause any additional damage uh, to your property, that there will be a, a method for you to uh, get compensated for it. I'm not going to tell you know your listeners exactly how much insurance to have, but it should be a considerable amount if you consider um, that they're bringing in a lot of equipment, they're going to be using electricity, and um, sometimes bad things do happen. So I want to make sure that they do have adequate insurance in place. You may want to see what their history is with the Better Business Bureau. Again, that's something that we would generally recommend for almost all businesses. It's hard to be in the water mitigation business without generating some complaints. Quite frankly, a lot of people have unrealistic expectations about companies like ours can do. But what you really want to see is is how well the companies have handled those complaints and have uh, responded to them. That's really what you want to see. How responsive are they? And, you know, then obviously uh, you want to check um, on their pricing and and make sure that it's competitive uh, with other companies that you're doing business with. If you um, really want to be at the top of the list, uh, if you have a loss, a lot of restoration companies and mitigation companies like ours are happy to uh, enter into agreements in which we will guarantee that we'll be on site within one or two hours of any loss at any time that you call it in and make sure that they've got enough equipment so that they can handle your situation as well as any others that may happen. Because often if there's a big storm, yours is not the only uh, business that is affected. So you want to make sure that the company that you're considering is large enough to handle your situation as well as others in your area. What is the role of the public adjuster, independent adjuster, carrier adjuster, insurance broker, and any consultant in the restoration after a large water loss? Well, that's another great question because this is very confusing, particularly for business owners um, and uh, property engineers and whoever is responsible for you know handling situations like this. Now, risk managers, you know, depending on the organization, there may actually be a, you know, a risk manager that would be actively involved for your company um, or your organization. But it's important to understand that all of these uh, people do have different roles and, and how they get paid and, and what they might you know, be able to offer to you. So let's go ahead and start with, I think the first one that you asked about was, was a public adjuster. 
So a public adjuster should be licensed uh, by the state uh, to perform um, claim adjusting duties on behalf of the property owner. So this is somebody that the uh, property owner uh, would hire directly and they would pay them a fee and then they would act as uh, their representative uh, when negotiating a settlement uh, with their insurance company or third-party administrator, depending on you know how much of the loss is a, is a self-insured amount. These fees can be pretty significant. They can range anywhere from 10 to 20% of the total amount that's eventually collected. So, you know, when making the decision to hire somebody like a public adjuster, you know, the um, the businesses and, and public companies need to keep that in mind, particularly if it's a public entity which is going to be spending essentially taxpayer dollars. Do you really need to have your taxpayer dollars going to uh, someone to represent yourself? Now, if you're a small uh, group and you don't really know what you're doing, then it might be worth your while. But otherwise, you know, our suggestion is to... Um, work directly with uh, the insurance company or the third-party administrator and see if the way that they're working with you is is fair. The next one I think you uh, mentioned was an independent adjuster. So this is different than a public adjuster. The independent adjuster would be somebody hired by either the third-party administrator handling the uh, the loss um, or directly by the insurance carrier. And they would be paid directly by the carrier or third-party administrator as, as a fee for their doing the work of determining the total amount of of the damages. The fee is usually on an hourly basis based on however much time uh, he or she needs to spend on the job recommending um, a settlement amount to the carrier or third-party administrator, and they would then discuss that with you. You would be dealing directly with that adjuster who would be recommended them by the carrier or the third-party administrator. The reason for these independent adjusters is some carriers or, or third-party administrators do not have their own adjusters on staff. So in this case, they do need to hire someone to do the adjusting of the loss for them, and then they get paid that particular fee. Carrier adjusters are adjusters that are employees of the insurance carrier or third-party administrator who's handling the loss. So they're, they're basically paid typically a salary uh, to go out there and adjust the loss on their behalf to be dealing directly with you and your representatives on what the damages were. They'd be able to recommend vendors if you do not have a vendor that you're familiar with. And in situations where there are carrier adjusters, they're going to be more familiar with the insurance contract and typically what's covered. Your broker and or your agent is obviously the person that, that sold uh, any type of insurance policy to your group. And your risk manager would be most uh, involved with them. Oftentimes, the broker will get directly involved. Uh, They may be the first uh, person that is contacted after a loss, and they will work in conjunction with the the carrier or third-party administrator. But most of the time, they don't have any actual settlement authorization, so they can work on your behalf to help you out. Certainly, if you've got like a complaint or something, you could certainly give it to your broker, and then they would contact someone at the carrier to uh, work directly back with you and follow up. Consultants are getting more and more common in these larger losses. And a consultant can be hired directly by the the entity, by you, to come in and assist with the adjustment of the claim. They can be um, hired by the carrier on a complex loss. 
They may feel that they want someone overlooking uh, the amount of vendors that are working on the loss and to assist them with reviewing the bills. So if your organization wants to hire a consultant, then again, they would be paid a fee directly by you, but it would typically be a flat fee that you would negotiate with them or an hourly fee, as opposed to a public adjuster, which would uh, get a percentage of the uh, amount of recovery. In cases where the consultant is hired by the carrier or a third-party administrator, then, then their fee is paid directly by them. So uh, not a fee that you would need to concern yourselves with. And again, sometimes they are brought in in cases where the loss is very large and complex, involving uh, loss of uh, loss of business or the relocation of your offices and other things that might be complicated. But again, it's not something that you're going to see on, on every loss, but it might be something you'd see on particularly large and complex losses. Our recommendation for the most part is, you know, if you do have um, a large water loss, report it directly to your broker. They'll go ahead and refer it directly to uh, the carrier and or your third-party administrator. They'll be happy to work with any qualified vendor that's already on your list, or they'll recommend vendors to you. And then they'll assign an, an, an adjuster, whether it's a carrier adjuster or independent adjuster, to get out there and determine um, how quickly things can be fixed and what the total amount of your damages are. And if for some reason you're not satisfied with the work that they're doing, then you may want to consider uh, bringing on a consultant or a public adjuster on your own. But uh, we always recommend that you give your, your carrier and or third-party administrator the best chance in order to resolve your loss. And most of the time, uh, it'll be successful. You'll be back up and running as quickly as possible and uh, receive the full compensation that you're entitled to. We have reached the end of our podcast. Thanks so much, Jeff and Taekwon. Please visit the Prima website to listen to other Prima podcasts, join upcoming Prima webinars, read Prima blogs, and learn about additional Prima educational resources. Be sure to check us out on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and our very own Prima Talk. Have a wonderful day.